But because of all that's happening in Israel this week, I felt like it would be important to explain to you how things are going to end one day. So if we're going to talk about how they're going to end, I need to go back and talk about how it all began. Leviticus chapter 23, I'm not going to have time to go there, so maybe just write that down in your notes. Speaking of which, I'm going to give you a lot of notes, a lot of scripture today. So if you're a note taker, get ready. If you're not, then this might just be one of those videos you want to watch on YouTube, and you can go back and write down all the verses and go back and study. So Leviticus 23, we won't go there, but the Lord is talking to the Jewish people, and he said there are seven feasts that I want you to keep. It's a command and that, that, that you would keep these seven feasts. So this was... 4,000 years ago, the Jews today that are observant still keep these seven feasts. The Passover, the Feast of Unleavened Bread, the Feast of First Fruits, Pentecost. And some of you that are like super Pentecostal, you're like, what you talking about? <laughs> Pentecost, the Feast of Trumpets, the Feast of the Atonement, and the Feast of Tabernacles. This was a lasting ordinance that the Jewish people were supposed to every single year, forever, celebrate these seven feasts. So fast forward to the New Testament. The gospel of Jesus is spreading through the Gentile world. And there are some Jews and some Gentile Christians that are worshiping God in Colossae. And the, the Jews are starting to put kind of a heavy hand on the Gentiles to help them keep the seven feasts. And the Gentiles that didn't grow up with this are like, dude, you guys have a lot of rules. And I don't know if we're doing it right. I mean, we'll try, but I don't know if we're doing it right. And Paul told the Gentiles, listen, stop worrying about trying to keep all of the, the little minute rules of the ancient Jewish festivals. He said this in Colossians chapter 2. These rules about festivals are only shadows of the reality that is yet to come. Christ himself is that reality. Leave the verse up for a second, please. Because if you didn't realize what the Lord said, this is a bombshell for all Gentile believers. The seven feasts that have been practiced by the Jews for thousands of years are actually a picture, a shadow of the Lord Jesus himself. And he said they're in fact still yet to be fulfilled. Picture yourself when it says a shadow. What does that mean? Um, the way I picture it in my imagination is like a coloring book. And that the seven feasts are like the outline in black on the white page. Jesus fulfills them in 3D and smell-o-vision and touch-o-vision. And he's got special effects. It looks like the seven feasts, but Jesus does everything amazing. Here's my take on the seven feasts and Jesus' fulfillment of them. He's already fulfilled the first four. The seven feasts of Israel work like this. The first four happen in the springtime, and then there's this long break over the summer, and then the final three feasts happen in the autumn, in the fall. Jesus already fulfilled the first four spring feasts. And here's the fun thing, if you read your Bible, and it's going to make sense in a minute, not only did Jesus fulfill them during the time of the feast in ancient Israel, he literally fulfilled it on the day and the moment and the hour of that feast starting or ending. Look at the Passover alone. Jesus was crucified at the exact same time that the Passover lambs were slaughtered for Passover in the temple. Paul said to the Corinthians, Jesus is our Passover lamb that was sacrificed for us. So we can see right there, Jesus fulfilled the Passover. So 
the way that the Passover works is first is the Feast of Passover, and then that night it immediately leads into the Feast of Unleavened Bread. It's a whole week of eating bread with no yeast in it. And yeast in the Bible is always a symbol for sin. Jesus' body was put into the ground at the very beginning of the Feast of Unleavened Bread, and Jesus' body had no sin in it. The Feast of First Fruits is a harvest feast, and it celebrates the, 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 the springtime harvest of the first fruits of the land, which is why Paul told the church in Corinth in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and 23, he literally said, Jesus was raised from death to life to be the first fruit of all of us that would not taste death, but instead experience eternal life. When you die, you don't die. If you believe in Jesus, if you've repented of your sin and you believe in Jesus, when you die, this bag of meat and bones will die, but you will not die. You will go from life to eternal life. Jesus was the first one to do that. He is the first fruits of that. So Jesus fulfilled the first fruits. The fourth spring festival is the Feast of Pentecost. It happens 50 days later. This spring harvest celebrates two things. Uh, This spring festival celebrates the harvest, but it also celebrates, and here's the main thing, the giving of the covenant to the Jewish people. When Moses brought the covenant to the Jewish people, that's what they're celebrating during Pentecost. So here's what happens. During Pentecost, the disciples that were left were in the upper room waiting on the gift that was promised to them, the gift of the Holy Spirit. Jesus said, I'm going to immerse you I'm going to soak you in the Holy Spirit, in the fire of God, and in the power of God. But you have to wait for it to come. So the disciples in Acts chapter 2 were waiting and celebrating Pentecost. When the Holy Spirit was poured out, they received the, the baptism of the Holy Spirit. They prayed in other tongues. They received the power of God. And here's the two things that happened. Peter went out on the steps that morning and he preached the gospel and a great harvest of Jews put their faith in Jesus and the covenant that came through Jesus was stamped by the power and presence of the Holy Spirit. So the first covenant was celebrating that you would have to go through the blood of lambs and goats and animals. And the second covenant is that we only go to God through the blood of Jesus. So that was fulfilled, that, that new covenant was fulfilled through Jesus. And it was given all of us on the time of Pentecost. Do you see the very detailed precision and, and exact order that the Lord operates in? Like sometimes when we picture God, we're like, oh, I don't know what God's going to do. Look at the scripture. God is, he's, he's like a tax accountant. I mean, he's very precise in what he does. He's the God of order. He's the God of precision. And after these first four spring festivals that Jesus fulfilled, there's this long period in the summer where we just work. We work on the harvest. We, we just work. And then in the fall, there's three festivals that begin this time of celebration and feasting and rest as we go into winter. So the way I see the scripture and the way I believe it, right now, we are in this age of waiting between the, the, the spring feasts and the fall feasts. Jesus will fulfill the fall feast, but it's still yet to come. So we're in this season where the gospel message of Jesus has spread from the Jews to the Gentiles. 
And it's now spreading across the world until every tribe, every tongue, every nation hears the gospel of Jesus Christ. We're in this season of summertime. We're in the season of work, spreading the gospel around the world, waiting on Jesus to fulfill the fifth festival. So some people think, well, I guess God's done with the nation of Israel. God's done with the Jewish people. Now he's moved on to the church. No, no. Romans chapter 11. Paul said, I don't want you to understand, I, I do want you to understand this mystery, brothers and sisters at Uncommon Church. I don't want you to feel proud about yourself. Yes, some of the people of Israel have had their hearts hardened, but this will last only until the full number of Gentiles comes to Christ. So right now, we're in this season of waiting until Jesus' return, and he's waiting until the gospel is preached in every tribe, every tongue, every nation around the world. We're in these summer months of work helping to spread the gospel around the world. So ask yourself, as a, as a believer, what are you doing to help spread the gospel around the world while we're waiting for the full number of Gentiles to come to faith? While we're waiting for the final three festivals to be fulfilled in Jesus' second coming. So some of you are like, okay, what's the fifth festival? It's the feast of trumpets. It's Rosh Hashanah. It's the, the Jewish New Year. And what would happen is the priests would take a, a ram's horn, a trumpet, and they would blow the shofar. They would blow the trumpet and they would announce the, the, the new year and they would announce this rest and reflection period. It was a, a wonderful, joyous celebration. It's better than the ball dropping in Times Square. And what happens, it happens in this moment, this instant, you know, to celebrate, to announce the new year. But that would also kick off the following 10 days of reflection and of preparation for the Day of Atonement, which is called Yom Kippur. And that would be the, the day where our sins were atoned for. I believe, based on God's unique and detail-oriented pattern of the way Jesus fulfilled scripture, I believe without a shadow of a doubt that Jesus will return during the Feast of Trumpets. I do not know which year. And the Feast of Trumpets lasts two days. I don't even know when during the Feast of Trumpets it's going to happen, but it is my opinion that Jesus is gonna come back when that trumpet sounds. Why do I believe that? First Thessalonians chapter four. The Lord himself will come down from heaven with a commanding shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the, you know, trumpet call of God. That's why I believe that Jesus is coming back during the Feast of Trumpets. And here's what's going to happen. Keep reading. First, the believers who have died will be raised from their graves. What are you talking about, Lewis? Every believer in Jesus that has died in the last 2,000 years, at that moment when Jesus' return comes, the whole world is going to hear the trumpet sound of heaven, and all those dead people are going to come back to life. Isn't that exciting? Don't you look forward to seeing your friends, family, siblings, grandmas again, right? I'm excited about those times. Here, let me give you a little side note, just a little for funsies. Every time we take communion, we're celebrating two of the feasts. We're celebrating the feast of Passover. We're also celebrating the feast of trumpets. We're celebrating the last thing that Jesus did while we look forward to the next thing that Jesus is about to do. 
Let me break it down for you this way. When we celebrate Passover, we're eating that little matzah bread, that little piece of bread that has no yeast in it. We are celebrating the broken body of Jesus, but we are also honoring and celebrating when we drink the cup, the blood of Jesus that has given us a new covenant with God through Jesus's broken body and shed blood. But then we are also in this moment where we're waiting for the Feast of Trumpets. We're waiting for Jesus's return. We're waiting for that, the, the, the trumpet to announce the return of Jesus, which which is why in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, and I read it to you every single week, every time we eat this bread and drink this cup, we are, oh snap. We take communion literally every single Sunday. And 1 Corinthians 11 is on this screen. And I say to you, the reason we eat this bread and drink this cup is we are announcing his resurrection until what? He comes again. So every time we take communion, we're celebrating Passover, and we're also celebrating the Feast of Trumpets while we look forward to his return. Well, does that mean it's going to happen at the next Feast of Trumpets? That's in sometime in October, right? Listen, the Bible says we don't know the day or the hour. We have no idea when Jesus is going to return. But I do know that when he comes, he's going to fulfill the next three festivals, and there's a verse in Thessalonians, we just read it to you, about Jesus returning at the sound of the trumpet. So I don't know what year, but I am excited that Jesus will return when the, the, the trumpet sounds and the whole earth hears during Rosh Hashanah. I only stopped at verse 16. Can we go back and look at the big picture? So I'm going to read 13 to 18. Dear brothers and sisters, we want you to know what's going to happen to the believers who have died so that you will not grieve like people that have no hope. Just leave that verse up for a second. I told you that all the people that believed in Jesus, when the, the trumpet sounds and Jesus returns, those that have died will be raised to life again. So that he's giving us hope. Have you ever been to a funeral I mean, of a young person or something, it's terrible. Young people shouldn't die. Parents should never have to bury their children. It's the worst thing ever, but we see it all the time. But you ever see like a, a 90, 95-year-old, amazing, godly Christian man or a woman? They've lived an amazing life. They've ministered to people. They've loved on people. They've led people to Jesus, and they just die in their sleep with their family loving and supporting them, and it's like this beautiful, beautiful, and you go to the funeral, and people are like laughing and celebrating their life, and there's, I mean, yes, we're sad that grandma or grandpa is gone, but there's like such hope and such joy at the life that they lived, Right? Because there's no sting in death, and we know that we're going to see them again. So that's what Apostle Paul is trying to teach the church in Thessalonica. Listen, there's no death in death for the believer. Verse 14, since we believe that Jesus died and was raised to life again, we also believe that when Jesus returns, God will bring back with him all the believers that have died. We tell you this directly from the Lord himself. We who are still living when the Lord returns, we're not going to meet him ahead of those who have died. The Lord himself will come down from heaven with a commanding shout, the voice of the archangel, with the trumpet call of God. First, the believers who have died will rise from their graves. Then, together with them, we who are still alive and remain on the earth will be caught up in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. Then we will be with the Lord Jesus forever. So encourage one another with these words. Jesus is coming back. Like, get excited. 
This is what we refer to as the, the doctrine of the rapture. That, 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 that those that are believers in Jesus will be raised to life eternal and that those that have died and gone on before us, we will all be raised to, and what, I don't have time to go into this whole other sermon, to the wedding supper of the Lamb, that we will go to this, this wedding. That The Bible says that the, those that are believers in Jesus are the bride of Christ and that he is the groom and he is returning to get the, the bride and we're going to have this celebration, this feast with the Lord in the clouds. And Jesus said that the believers who are alive at that time actually are not going to die. So if the Lord Jesus returns while we are still alive, we will not die. Our bodies will be caught up into the air with the Lord Jesus, and our bodies will simply be transformed from natural to eternal bodies. So let me break down of when this rapture is going to happen. I think it's going to happen soon. I think it could happen in our lifetimes, but people have thought that for 2,000 years, so ain't nobody know. We should actually, verse 18, be encouraged. Be encouraged. So many people are like, yeah, I wish I was there in Bethlehem and have, could have seen little baby Jesus get born in the manger and I wish I could have seen the wise men come and give gifts. Oh, what, oh, it would have been so wonderful to see Jesus on the earth. He's coming back to the earth. Just get excited about that. You've got that to look forward to. You also have the, 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 this comforting thought that you're gonna see your loved ones again that were believers in Jesus. Yeah, they've gone on before you, but we're going to a huge family reunion in the sky. When is this going to happen? I don't know. But I believe it'll happen one of these years during the Feast of Trumpets. Here's the other thing, though. Like, well, can I continue to smoke weed, sleep with somebody I'm not married to, get uh, drunk, look at porn, flip somebody off on 183? Can I continue to do these things until Jesus' return? No. Because it's going to happen in an instant. There will not be time to repent of your sin and make Jesus Lord when the trumpet sounds. You have to live right with God, not get right with God. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 says, it's going to happen in a moment, in a blink of an eye, when the last trumpet is blown. For when the trumpet sounds, those who have died will be raised to live forever, and we who are living will be transformed. If you are waiting to fully surrender your life to Jesus, good news. Your wait is over. Today is your day of salvation. Today is when you take all of your chips of life and you go all in on this Jesus thing. No more sin, no more selfishness, no more waiting, no more, you know, lukewarm, no more one foot in the world and one foot in church, no more, you know, I don't know if I'm really down with JC. Today is your day of salvation because when he returns, there will not be time to get right with him. Today is the day you get right with the Lord. Now, if Jesus doesn't come back in our lifetime, and our, we, we're 90, 100, 110 years old, and we're going to die. You're not actually going to die. I've already told you, you're going to go from life to eternal life. But here's the interesting thing. You don't have to wait to get to heaven. You can bring heaven down on earth now. Only half the crowd believes that. If, you, if Jesus tarries, and he comes back in two or three or 500 years, and you're going to die one day, you don't have to wait to get to heaven. You can bring heaven down on earth now. A little bit better, amen. I'm just going to keep preaching it until you get it. Those who have fully surrendered their life to Jesus, been baptized in water, been baptized in the Holy Spirit, heaven comes down now. Eternal life starts now. 
we start walking in faith, in power, in victory, we, we start living out heaven on the earth. So that when Jesus does return, our bodies are transformed. You know what's so fun about the, about the return of Jesus? We're no longer gonna have a sin nature. Isn't that amazing? You know those thoughts that you're tempted with? You're not gonna be tempted with those thoughts anymore. There's gonna be no death. There's gonna be no sickness. There's gonna be no sin. There's gonna be no mourning. There's gonna be no tears. All right, let me go back to the rapture and talk a little bit more about the rapture. Jesus describes the rapture of the believers in Luke chapter 17. He said to the disciples, there's a time coming when you will long to see the day when the Son of Man returns, but you're actually not gonna see it. People are gonna tell you, look, the Son of Man is over here, or there he is, but don't go out and follow him. So just leave that verse up for a second. Basically what Jesus is telling the disciples is that there's gonna be reports that Jesus has returned and you missed it. Don't believe them. Jesus is telling his followers, you definitely gonna know when I come back. Whether you get raptured or not, you're gonna know that their rapture happened. Why? Because verse 24, the same way that lightning flashes and lights up the sky from one end to the other, that's the way it's gonna be on the day when the Son of Man comes. Everybody's gonna see it. Everybody's, doesn't matter where on the earth you are, doesn't matter if it's daytime or nighttime, you're gonna know, you're gonna see Jesus returning. Well, I thought I read somewhere that Jesus is going to return to the Mount of Olives. Yes, he is. You're going to see it from Texas. I don't understand. You don't have to understand. <laughs> is it with my natural eyes or on satellite television? I don't know and I don't care. You're going to see it. <laughs> Keep reading. Verse 26. Jesus is, Jesus is literally telling us how it's going to break down. He said, when the Son of Man returns, it's going to be just like it was in the days of Noah. Because in those days, people were enjoying banquets. They were going to parties. They were going to weddings. Right up until the very time that Noah jumped into the boat and the flood came and destroyed everybody else. And then the world will be as it was in the days of Lot, which that's the time of Sodom and Gomorrah, if you remember that story. People were going about their daily business. They're eating, they're drinking, they're buying, they're selling, they're farming, they're building, all the way up until the moment that, Sod that, that Lot left Sodom. And then, remember, fire and brimstone, fire and sulfur, rained down from heaven and destroyed them all. Jesus said, yeah, it's going to be just like business as usual all the way up until the moment that the Son of Man is revealed. Look carefully at the examples that Jesus gave for both Noah before the flood and Lot before the fire and brimstone on Sodom and Gomorrah. Life was normal. People went to work. People went to a wedding. People would watch Netflix. People would eat a big meal. It was just totally normal. And then suddenly, in the blink of an eye, in the flash of lightning, God's people were spared from the wrath that he was going to pour out on the ungodly. That's what happened to Noah. That's what happened to Lot. Noah and Lot were spared the wrath that God was going to pour out on the ungodly. Keep reading. Verse 31. Jesus said, on that day, a person who's out on the deck of a roof, don't go down into the house to try to pack a bag. If you're out in the field, don't try to get back to your house. If, if you're at work, don't try to drive home. Remember what happened to Lot's wife. Lot's wife looked back at the world she lived in, and she died. Jesus said, verse 33, if you cling to your life, you're going to lose it. And if you let your life go, you're going to save it. So that night, the, the, with the moment of the rapture, 
Two people are going to be asleep in one bed. One will be taken, the other will be left. Two people are going to be at work, grinding flour in a mill. One will be taken, the other left. Jesus is describing the rapture of the believers, when all the believers will meet together with those that have died in Christ and will have a big family reunion with Jesus in the sky. But did you notice that Jesus said, not everybody is going to make it. Only those who have repented of their sin and made Jesus the Lord of their life, and they are looking forward. They are ready for Jesus' return. The only reason that you would dread the return of Jesus is if you're not living right. Because it's going to happen in the blink of an eye. You're not going to have time to repent and ask him to forgive you of your sins. You have to live holy. You have to live expectant. And he's saying, look, keep your eyes fixed on me. Don't look back at the world like Lot's wife. Fix your eyes on Jesus. So if you're not excited about Jesus' return, you love the world more than you love Jesus. Well, I was just really hoping I'd get to get married. I've been living holy, and I just want to see somebody naked before I die, you know what I'm saying? And not feel guilty about it. Well, we're married now, but I just, we, I just really want to have kids. I just want to see if a kid would look like me or him or her. I just want to see, well, I just want to see what Mandalorian season three is going to look like. I just, I don't know. You're trying to pack a suitcase and Jesus is splitting the sky. Verse 33, if you cling to your life, you're going to lose it. If you let go of your life, you're actually going to save it. Listen, I'm not here to scare the hell out of you. I'm not trying to scare the hell out of you. I'm trying to preach the hope into you. But the end times are exciting. You have something to look forward to. You have something to long for. Right now, I have been married. I have had three kids. This summer, we've got a wedding. Right now, the number one thing in life I want is a new boat. And after that, a grandbaby. I have something to look forward to. I have something to long for. I love that you think I'm kidding. <laughs> Our boat got destroyed in the winter storm. So I actually sold my boat on Craigslist last night and it's gone. So now I have no boat and money in my pocket. <laughs> Looking for a new boat. Anyway, um, as much as I look forward to grandchildren, I look forward to the return of Jesus more. I look forward to the rapture. Well, Pastor Brad said the rapture is going to happen during the Feast of Tabernacles, uh, Feast of Trumpets. Yeah, I don't know when. Literally, for 2,000 years, people thought that Jesus was going to return. The disciples that heard Jesus say, I'm coming back, once he went up into the sky, they were like, y'all just wait here a minute. He's probably going to come right back. <laughs> Hundreds of times in the life of the church have we thought Jesus was coming back. If you're old like me, how about the book, 88 Reasons for the Return of Christ in 88? Old people laugh with me. 88 was a scary year, yo. Because the way that book was written, it wasn't like we have hope. It was like, Jesus is coming back. Look busy. <laughs> I was a teenager. Jesus is coming back. Don't do nothing you wouldn't want to get caught doing when Jesus comes back. That's kind of still true. <laughs> Would you want to be high? Would you want to be drunk? Would you want to be looking at porn? Would you want to be naked with somebody you're not married to when the sky splits open? I didn't think so. Live every day 
Like we're expecting and we're excited about Jesus' return. I'm kind of looking at my outline on my teleprompter and I'm not done yet. So just keep doing that. We're going to be here for a while. Just keep plinking, plinking and holding down the Jesus chords. I got more to talk about and these people need to hear it. I want to talk a little bit about what's going to happen during the end times. The Bible says there's going to be a season of tribulation on the earth. Seven years of tribulation. It's actually going to be split up into two three and a half year segments. And many people believe that the return of Jesus is going to happen before the tribulation. Those people believe in the pre-tribulation rapture. Other people believe that it's going to happen at the three and a half year mark. That the return of Jesus is going to have in the middle. They call those the the people that believe in the mid-tribulation rapture. Still others believe that it's going to happen at the very end of the seven years. And that's those that believe in the post-tribulation rapture. Finally, some people believe that it's already happened. And that it happened in 70 AD when the Romans came and destroyed the temple and they kicked the Jews out of the land of Israel. So there's the four main theories. I am not going to tell you which one I believe because I'm not going to teach one. I'm just going to live every day, every moment, like I'm leaning in and I'm excited for the return of Jesus. So some of you might be like, okay, I get the pre and I get the post. I don't understand the mid. Those that believe in the mid-tribulation rapture believe that the first three and a half years of tribulation is actually to purify the church. And the second three and a half years is the wrath of God that's going to be poured out on the world. So that those that would believe it's kind of like um, uh, gold. When you bring it out of the ground, it needs to be boiled. It needs to be cooked. And then all of the impurities are going to rise to the surface. And then all those impurities are going to be removed from the gold. So many people believe that the first three and a half years is not for the world, but it's actually to purify the church. And then um, the Bible also says that the wrath, the children of God will never experience the wrath of God. So if you are a child of God, you do not need to fear the wrath of God. However, in the last days, whether it's pre, mid, post, or already happened and there's some stuff to come, some people can get a little scared. I wanna give you a warning. If you miss the rapture, if you're here this morning and you choose to live in sin, you choose not to surrender your life to Jesus, or maybe you're watching this on YouTube years from now, and you were looking back at preachers like, why didn't anybody ever talk about this? I'm telling you now, if you miss the rapture, there's still time for you to repent. If you're watching this on YouTube in the future, and you're like, um, millions and millions and millions of people have disappeared, and millions and millions more have died, what do I do? Repent of your sin and make Jesus the Lord of your life and begin living for the Lord Jesus right now. I feel like I'm talking to the camera. Like I'm assuming all of you are going to be raptured whenever that happens. So I'm talking to those of you that missed it. It's not your fault. Nobody taught you and told you. And that's our fault. We did a terrible job as the church of communicating what the Bible says about the end times. So here's, let me give you some warning if you're watching this years down the road and millions of Christians are gone and millions of other people have died. Yeah, things are going to get kind of terrible. There's going to be a world leader who tries to unify all of the world under one world government, one world uh, money. And it's going to seem like the whole world is believing and going in the same direction. Don't give in to that system. And don't surrender your allegiance to that leader. The Bible says that leader is called the anti 
Christ, against the work of Christ. And be careful not to give yourself over to that system that's talked about in the book of Revelation. Let me read you one verse of what it's going to look like in the last days. John saw this in Revelation. He wrote this down. This, at the end times, this leader is going to require everyone, small and great, rich and poor, free and slave, to be given a mark on the right hand or a mark on the forehead. And nobody could buy or sell anything without that mark, which was either the name of the beast or the number representing his name. So you're going to need wisdom here. Let the one with understanding solve the meaning of the number of the beast. It is the number of man, 666. Some of you are like, wait a second. One day there's going to be a worldwide system where I can't sell or buy anything without a mask, I mean a mark? I think it was a test of the emergency submission system. I think it was a test. I think the devil was like, hey, do you think that the internet and satellite television works well enough that we can communicate to the entire world and breed fear into them and get them to all do something? Please be very clear in what I'm saying because now some of you are whispering. I am not saying you should not wear a mask, and I am not saying the mask is the mark of the beast. I'm simply, I think it's wisdom to protect you from a virus. I'm simply saying I think it was a test to see if the entire world would go along with it, and we did. So one day, it won't be a test, and there will be a world leader that rises to power who is anti-Christ and anti-Israel and will require a mark. You know that that technology already exists. My, my debit card is very flat, and it's the size of, you know, a debit card. <laughs> but woven into the fabric of that card is a microchip with a radio transmitter, frequency, uh, receiver. And I can lay that card on a zapper and pay for something. That little flat radio receiver thing is already being tested and put into the hands of people. So what John saw in that prophetic picture 2,000 years ago is exactly the technology we have today. The same technology that's in your phone, that's in your debit cards, can be put into your hand or your forehead, and when you want to go to the grocery store, you're just going to scan your hand or scan your forehead. Here's another thought. It's possible what John saw when he said your right hand. How many of you hold your cell phone in your right hand? It's possible John has already seen what we have today. That's why verse 18 says, wisdom is needed here. So don't surrender to the world system. The only warning is this, and I don't want to scare you too bad, especially if you are watching on YouTube and millions of Christians and millions of others have died, what's going to happen? Don't take the mark of the beast. Don't take the mark in your hand or your forehead. You will be beheaded. Your head will be cut off. You will be killed, basically, by the government for not submitting these. Stay faithful to Jesus, even if it costs you your life. We have many people that are elderly, many people that are immunocompromised, that are still not going on in public. That's not who I'm talking to. If you skip church today because it was pouring down rain, you're going to struggle in the end times. Your commitment to Jesus is gonna to need to be one that is so strong, you would literally 
allow your head to be chopped off than giving in to the world system. And this whole thing is gonna ramp up really quickly. Just one more little fun warning, read the book of Revelation, millions and millions of people, a third of the earth, billions of people are gonna die in an instant. It's not gonna be business as usual. An asteroid is gonna hit the world and another third of the world's population is gonna die, but don't worry about it. There's gonna be a war between the king of the north, the king of the east, the king of the south, and the king of the west, all attacking Israel. And millions of people are gonna die in a big world war. But don't worry about it. It's gonna be okay. Because if you repent of your sin and make Jesus the Lord of your life, whether you're here or you're already raptured, you're gonna be okay. Because at the end of that season of seven years, for a thousand years, Jesus is going to reign and rule on the earth. And the Bible says that we will reign and rule the earth together with him. So stop hardening your heart. Soften your heart. Here, let me ask you this question. Would, let's assume that you have repented of your sin. You're a strong believer in Jesus. You're, you know you're going to heaven. You know you're going to be raptured. Doesn't matter when it happens, pre, mid, post, you're in, baby. Do you want your friends and neighbors to die and go to hell? Act like it. Now is the time of the summer months where we work hard at the harvest. Jesus said this. There's going to be some strange signs in the sun, the moon, and the stars. Here on the earth, nations are going to be in turmoil, perplexed by roaring seas and strange tides. People are going to be terrified at what's coming on the earth, for the powers of the heavens are going to be shaken. And then everyone, remember how I said, don't worry about if you're sleeping, you're, you're not going to miss Jesus' return. Everyone will see the Son of Man coming on a cloud with the power and great glory. When all these things, oh snap, begin to happen, what should we do? Stand up and look, because your salvation is near. When all of these terrible end time things begin to happen, that's the time to look for Jesus' return. So all of this trouble that's happening in Israel right now, look up to the Lord Jesus. The way our governments around the world are unifying to one socialist government, look up to the Lord Jesus. The way we have a financial banking system that is interconnected through the internet and we can buy and sell all around the world at one moment through our computers, look up at the Lord Jesus. The way that earthquakes and wildfires and uh, uh, tidal waves and plagues and pandemics are spreading around the world, look up because your salvation is more near now than it ever has been before. Pop up on your feet. I'm going to read one last verse to you. Some people would be like, dude, if he loves us so much, if he loves the church so much, why hasn't he even come back yet? Because he wants more people to get saved. Second Peter chapter three, the Lord isn't being slow about his promises as some of you think. No, he's actually being patient for your sake. He does not want anyone to be destroyed. He wants everyone to repent. God is patiently waiting for the return of Jesus so that as many people as possible can get born again. I, I gave you some scary things about the end times. There's actually one more thing that I absolutely, now that we've gone a few minutes late, don't have time to get into. I think there's going to be an end time revival when millions and millions and millions of people get born again. And that's what I'm, I'm leaning into. I'm believing God for 50 million people to get born again, and I want to be a part of it. 
well, why do you make Israel such a big deal? Because that's where it all started. Jesus ascended into heaven from the Mount of Olives, and the Bible says he's going to return and put his feet back on the Mount of Olives. The prophets Joel, Daniel, Ezekiel, Jeremiah, Amos, Zechariah, and Isaiah all prophesied about Israel and the Jewish people being the center, the epicenter of the end times. That's why it's so important for us as a church to stand with and behind the nation of Israel. Zechariah chapter 12 said, I will destroy all the nations that come against Jerusalem. President Trump for four years made some very pro-Israel stances and positions and, and, and giving to the nation and the land of Israel. He was a great partner and friend for our nation to the land of Israel. President Biden has already made some precarious moves that make me as a citizen of this country a little concerned about our position. President Biden's own party, and I'm not coming, I never do this, but it was in the news this week, so get nervous. There was a poll in Congress, and the article was written this way. Here was the headline. Democrats divided on the sovereignty of the nation of Israel. And I'm over here like, what is there to be divided about? It has been a sovereign nation for 73 years. And before that, it was a sovereign nation for 2,000 years under the kings of Israel. There's nothing to be divided about. It is a sovereign nation, period. And it was prophesied that it would be a sovereign nation. Well, I heard that Israel was real mean to all the Arabs. Listen, in 1948, the Jews said, the Jews coming out of Europe and Germany said, listen, y'all are welcome to stay. Arab Muslims, you're welcome to stay. But this is our land now. And that's why we have two million Arab Muslims living in Israel today peacefully. It's because their grandfathers and great-grandfathers said, okay, y'all are in charge. We're, we're peaceful. Y'all take over. And they stayed. The people that are in Gaza and the West Bank, they kept waiting for Egypt and Jordan and Lebanon and Syria to come destroy the Jews, drive them into the ocean, the way that the Quran says, so that they could have the land back. And it's been 73 years and it hasn't happened yet. Israel's a sovereign nation. The Bible prophesied it 2,600 years ago. This major war, it is entirely possible that the king of the north is Russia. The king of the east is China. The king of the south is Egypt and Saudi and the other Arab nations. And it's entirely possible that the king of the West that comes against Israel is the United States. It's possible. I don't know. I'm just saying it is possible. What do we do in the meantime? Look up. Your salvation is near. Fix your eyes on Jesus. Well, you said that the Feast of Trumpets is going is to be when Jesus comes back. I think. I'm pretty sure. But I don't know what year. Did you know that the Bible says that Jesus himself doesn't even know? Matthew chapter 24. Nobody knows the day or the hour. Not the angels, not even the Son. Only the Father knows when Jesus is going to return. So live every day like it could be today. What do we do in the meantime? Be ready. Be like a bride looking for her bridegroom. The Bible says that Jesus is going to come back for a bride who is without spot or wrinkle. Look at your heart. Look at your life. Are there any wrinkles in your life? Are there any spots of unbelief or sin in your life? Repent. Ask God to purify you, and he will. The second thing is this. Finish what he started. I lied when I said it was my last verse. I forgot I had two more. 
Jesus traveled through all the towns and villages, teaching in synagogues and announcing the good news of the kingdom of God. He healed a few of the diseases and illnesses. Go back. Oh, snap. He healed every kind of disease and illness. And when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were confused and helpless like a sheep without a shepherd. So he said to the disciples at Uncommon Church in 2021, the harvest is great. It's the workers who are few. Oh, I knew I could turn this back into a serve in the church message. I should do this for a living. Save people, serve people. So what do we do? Verse 38, pray to the Lord who was in charge of the harvest and ask him to send more workers into the dream teams, into world missions, into the dog park and the Kroger and your water cooler at work and school. Share the gospel wherever you go. Advance the kingdom of God. Heal the sick. Raise the dead. Cast out devils. The harvest is great. It's we need more harvesters. So I want you to be a great big combine for Jesus just out there harvesting people to come to faith. Close your eyes. Let's pray. Father in heaven, I'm excited. Maranatha in Greek means come quickly. Come quickly, Lord Jesus. Return in our day and in our hour. Lord, I pray for harvesters. I pray for more people to work. I pray for more people to serve. I pray for compassion. I pray for power. I pray that you would use our church to be a mighty combine, that there would be an end time revival in the DFW where this church leads millions of people to salvation that we would have a hope and a future and an excitement at your return. Lord, I pray that we would look up to you, Lord Jesus. And I pray that we would be more excited about you returning than about a, a raise at work or buying a new house or getting a new boat. Lord, I pray that we would be excited about your presence in our hearts today and in our lives forever. We look up to you, Lord Jesus. Well, actually, right now, we look down with every head bowed and every eye closed. If you're here this morning and you know that if the trumpet sounded and Jesus returned right now, you probably would not be raptured. You would have to endure the terrible suffering that's going to be on the earth. You don't have to. Don't make that choice. Today is your day to repent of your sin. Surrender your life to Jesus. Go all in. Stop trying to be like one foot in the world and one foot in church. Completely surrender your life to Jesus. God's not mad at you. He loves you. He's crazy about you. He's right here, right now, wanting to wash away your sin and, and lift you up into his arms of love. Well, preacher, you know, I've done some pretty bad things. Yeah, the cross was pretty awful as well. And it's the blood of Jesus that washes us white as snow. The blood of Jesus makes us from sinners to saints, from orphans to children of the Most High God. There's nothing that you have done that God is not ready to forgive right here, right now. If you're here this morning, you're watching online, and you need to get right with God, you need to repent, ask him to forgive you of your sin. This might be the first time you've ever prayed this prayer, or maybe it's the first time in a long time because you've allowed your heart to grow cold and you've walked away from your faith. I don't care, either way, today is your day of salvation. So whether this is your first time and your first time in a long time, I want you to pray and ask God to forgive you of your sin and surrender your life to Jesus and make him the Lord, the King, the boss of your life. I can lead you in that prayer, but it's gonna be your prayer. I can help you, but it's gotta come from a place of faith in your heart. 
If you're here this morning and that's you and you're gonna make that decision to surrender your life to Jesus, even if you're watching at home online, I'd like to know who I'm praying for. Would you shoot your hand up real high right now and just say, preacher, pray for me. I see your hand, is there anybody else? I see your hand and your hand, anybody else? Shoot them up. I see your hand, is there anybody else? Praise God. Yay, God. Listen, those of you that are watching at home, I just saw four or five people just say, today's my day of salvation. I'm getting right with Jesus. What about you? Right there in your bedroom, right there in your living room. Even if you're watching this video years from now and we're all gone in the rapture and you're here in the most difficult situation, raise your hand wherever you are. Surrender your life to Jesus. Don't wait. If you believe it in your heart, pray this prayer out loud. Say, dear Jesus, I repent. Please forgive me of my sin. I surrender my life to you. Be the Lord of my life, the Savior of my soul. I receive the gift of eternal life, and I look up to you as my Savior and the lover of my soul. Help me to be a bride that is longing for the groom. Make me pure and holy, spotless and without wrinkle as I wait for you to return. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen for the four or five, amen for you at home. Come on, somebody, yay God, yay God, yay God. Listen, if you're here right now, I want you to go screw in a light bulb on that Jesus wall. Every single one of those light bulbs is people that have surrendered their lives to Jesus. If you're here right now, I want you to walk over there and screw in a light bulb. If you're watching online, I want you to text the name Jesus to 817-405-2244. It's gonna give you an auto-response form. Fill the form out and click Submit because we wanna to begin to pray for you and we wanna screw in a light bulb for you on that Jesus wall. If this is after the rapture, there might not be anybody here to screw in a light bulb for you. <laughs> Study the book of Revelation. Stay faithful to Jesus, even if it costs you your life. I'll see you soon at that family reunion in heaven.